Well, you guys can go ahead and take a seat. It's good to see everyone this morning. My name is Alex. I serve as one of the pastors here. Uh, church, whoa, I always hit that little rug thing. Um, so good to see you guys. Uh, friends, it is so joyful and so fun to be able to have a family Sunday, special Sundays like this where we get to uh, have the kids in the room with us as we worship as the entire family, right? Cross-generational. Uh, we've got older people in the room. We've got really, really young kids in the room. And so it's just a joy to be able to worship together as a church family. For everyone at home, we miss you guys. Hope you guys are doing well. Uh, we're going to continue to just worship together. So thanks for just being so joyful and continuing to worship and tune in with with us. Uh, I just want to pray for our time. Can we pray together? Uh, let's go before the Father. Lord, uh, so grateful for this morning that uh, we just get to worship you, that we get to have the children in the room with us, uh, Lord, who also get to hear from your word each Sunday morning, but together we get to hear from it uh, just as one body. Uh, we're grateful for the fact that you've adopted us into this body by the blood of your son, Jesus, that we could have eternal life because of the grace that you've given to us, Lord. I pray that you would give us uh, eyes to see and ears to hear this morning, uh, just as we dive into your scriptures and into the book of Acts, Lord. Would you continue to stir up an affection in our hearts for you all the more? It's in your beautiful name. Amen. Uh, so I want to ask us a question this morning as we kind of get started and get rolling. Uh, that question for us to wrestle with is, how did we get here? How, how did we all get here to be in this room together to worship one person, right? Like, why are we called Christians? Why are people who are vastly different from one another gathering together? Well, today, as we walk through Acts 11, I want to answer that question for us, but I do want to give a recap, knowing that the kids are in the room, uh, for us through the book of Acts. So, uh, guys, we started the book of Acts back in July, and the book of Acts takes place after Jesus has died and resurrected, and it starts off with Jesus talking to the disciples, and he says, hey, I want you to go to the ends of the earth, to the rest of the world, telling people of who I am and what I've done for you. And then in Acts chapter 2, we see that the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples at Pentecost, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and so then the disciples continue to go out and preach the gospel, share the gospel to those who are around them. We see hundreds, thousands of people coming to faith to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but not only does that happen, persecution and hardship also happens. We see that the Jewish leaders didn't like the fact that the disciples were proclaiming Jesus' his name. Uh, and we see Peter and John go to jail several times, yet God was so good to free them from prison. And then in chapter 8, we see a man killed. His name was Stephen. And that's where we see people totally scatter from Jerusalem to go to the other parts of the world. And as they go, they start sharing about Jesus. So that's kind of where we're at here today. And last week, we got to see how the gospel is not just for the Jewish people. But it's now for the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people as well, that uh, they need to know about Jesus as well. And so we see that the gospel is for everyone. Jesus' salvation is for all who would come to hear of who he is. And we're going to see what that gospel, what Jesus produces in the life of his church today. And we're going to see that three different ways. We'll see that Jesus produces a multi-ethnic family. 
We'll see that Jesus produces a steadfast family, and he also produces a generous family. So if you would please, again, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 11, uh, and I'm going to read verses 19 to 21 for us. It says this, Now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks, also proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord." So we get taken back right to Acts chapter 8 with Stephen's death and how the church is then scattered right from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth and people are going and they're fleeing because of this persecution. But God uses persecution for his good and for his glory because they go out to the ends of the earth continuing to proclaim that good news of Jesus Christ to others. And here in Acts 11, we get this picture of two different different types of disciples, right? The first group from Phoenicia, from Cyprus, or that go to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, they only speak to Jewish people. They go, hey, we got to speak to the people who look like us, who talk like us, who know our rituals, who are like us most, and we're going to share the truth of Christ with those people only. Then we have the second group from, that, go, that are from Cyprus and Cyrene, and they go to Antioch, and they start sharing with the Greeks. They go, we don't care who we tell about Jesus. We just need to tell people. We need to continue to share this truth so that others would know about Christ. They have an overflowing excitement and desire to share this truth to all who would come to hear, to all who they come in contact with, to continue to share who Jesus is. There's no cultural barriers from inviting more people into the family of God. We see that clearly. Ricky covered it last week too. The gospel is for everyone. Jesus' salvation is for everyone. It's for a multi-ethnic family that God produces, that he desires people of all tribes, all tongues, all nations to know who he is and to worship his name for for his glory and for who he is. We've seen that story throughout the entire Bible, right? Genesis chapter 1. God creates earth and he desires to dwell with man. And then sin enters the world and in the midst of that, right, we've got the Tower of Babel and everything in chapter 11 of Genesis and the world is scattered and yet God still desires to bless his people so that they would know who he is. And and we get Genesis chapter 12 where God speaks to Abram who becomes Abraham who is a blessing for all nations. And so I just want to read Genesis 12 for us. Uh, Starting in verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives, your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. All the people on the earth, through one man, God makes a covenant promise to let people know who he is. That's what the blessing is. When he says, I'm going to use you to bless people, all of those who come to know you and see my relationship with you are going to come to faith to worship me. 
This is how God continues to write the story to have the multi-ethnic family that he is making. Again, in 1 Kings chapter 8, we have the similar thread and the similar story that God's heart is for all people. That God desires people of all nations to know who he is. 1 Kings chapter 8, we have King Solomon, who's David's son, right? Who, who uh, builds the temple. And as he builds the temple, he says, man, I just need to pray over this. I need to dedicate this to the Lord. And, and this is part of his prayer. King Solomon says this in 1 Kings 8. He says, even the foreigner who is not of your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, for they will hear of your great name, your strong hand, and your outstretched arm. Then he later says, then all the people of the earth will know your name to fear you as your people in Israel do. God desires for the foreigner to come to see this temple that has been made for his glory, that he's going to dwell with his people, and others will also come to worship him. He didn't come just for the Jews, but he came for all people. God desires to bring salvation to a multi-ethnic family, to continue to bring people into his adopted family, and this comes to a complete culmination that we see in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, where we read this. It's John's revelation. He says, As I looked... And there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language that no one could number. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seized on the throne and to the Lamb. Salvation belongs to our God. Every tribe, tongue, and nation clothed in white with palm branches in their hand, worshiping the one true king and saying salvation belongs to that God. From Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning of time to the, uh, for eternity, God will have a multi-ethnic family, people from all nations who come to worship him. God desires to have people who look vastly different, who have almost nothing in common, to worship him for his glory because he deserves that glory from Genesis to Revelation. And we get this all because Jesus spilled his blood for us. All because the lamb took the cross and paid the price of our sins so that we could have eternal life and be adopted into the family of God. Ephesians 2 tells us of how we're dead in our sin, and yet we could be raised up with Christ. And all people who come to Jesus by faith have eternal life. And Ephesians 2 verse 13 says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought, bought, brought near by the blood of Christ. You who are far away have been brought near by Christ's blood. And we get to enter into this family. Salvation is for all people as we see here in Acts 11. They go to the Jews and they go to the Gentiles. They continue to say, man, God just wants you to hear of who he is and what he's done for you. Different tribes, different tongues, different languages, people who are darker than others, people who are lighter than others, people who speak different languages, people who have different hair colors, people who have different facial features, people from all across the globe to worship the one true God. What a beautiful picture. That one day, friends, we're going to be holding palm branches in our hand and we're going to be shouting at the top of our lungs, salvation belongs to our God. Salvation belongs to our God that he desires to continue to do more 
in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And in Acts 11, we see that more and more people continue to come to faith. But why do they come to faith? They come to faith because the Lord's hand is with them. As we read here, right? The Lord's hand was with them and more. A large number of people who believed turned to the Lord. God's the one who continues to do the saving work, the saving grace of regenerating hearts and bringing people to himself, regardless of what their background is, regardless of, uh, of who they are and where they come from, regardless of what they look like. Jesus desires to save people from all tribes, from all tongues, from all nations, from all across the world. Jesus is the one who's doing the saving, and the Holy Spirit is using us as God's people to be on mission for him. God's Spirit dwells within us, and the Lord's hand is with us just as it was with them. Because the Spirit of God, the resurrecting power that brought Christ to new life, the resurrecting power that regenerated your own soul to allow you to come to faith in Christ Jesus dwells within you. So as you go and proclaim, as you go and share the truth of who Jesus is with others, know that the Lord's hand is with you. That in your proclamation, in your sharing, in your storytelling, as you talk about Jesus with those around you, your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends, as you go home for Thanksgiving or see people, man, the Lord's hand is with you. The power of God dwells within you. The Spirit of God has filled you as a believer in Christ Jesus. This is good news. And that's why we run to the lost, because God desires to save more people. He's running after more people. So my question for you this morning is, who is it for you right now? Is there someone in your life that you're actively pursuing to share Christ with? Like, is there someone who you've been praying over that God would just save, that God would use you in a beautiful way to share some truth with them? Like, is there someone who you're actually pursuing and saying, hey, let's go get coffee and let's get to know each other a little more? Hey, let's go to lunch, or, or if you're uh, distancing, you can still do it via Zoom. Like, God gave us phones. We've got computers in our hands every single day. We can use that to continue to build relationships and to have conversations with people and to pray and ask the Lord to save their souls. If there's not someone in your mind right now who you're like actually pursuing and asking the Lord to save and running after, man, I, would, you, would you stop for a moment today and actually like ask the Lord, man, Lord, would you please put someone in front of me in my circle who doesn't know you, who I could build a relationship with and, and share Christ with and just share your love with, Lord? And would you soften their hearts and would you move in a radical way to do a miracle that I can't? And is there someone who you're running after? And if there's not, would, would you start praying and, and asking God to put people in front of you to actually open your eyes to see that there's literally people all around you who don't know Jesus? 
to run after the lost, to be on God's mission. And regardless of who it is, church, I, I want to remind you that you're not the one that does the saving work. God, God wants to use you. He desires to use you. But it's His Holy Spirit that continues to do the work in people's hearts. And, and we can trust our God. We can trust that God wants to save more people. We can trust that God wants to use us. We can trust that the Lord is going to regenerate hearts and bring people to Himself. We just want to be faithful people who run to the lost, faithful people who continue to pursue others in our lives who don't know Jesus, to share Christ with them because the Lord's hand is with us. The Spirit of God dwells within us. Do we believe that? We can continue to just share Christ with others and trust that the Lord is going to do a good work and believe that the Holy Spirit is going to use us. So friends, as it comes to uh, just sharing Christ and seeing the Lord desire to bring people of all nations, of all tribes, of all tongues, to continue to come to Himself, we, we see this multi-ethnic family continue to be built up in the church, and we live that out even today, but what else does God do in the life of the church? Right? What else does the Lord do in uh, His people? Well, let's keep reading to find out. Uh, starting in verse 22. News about them reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. When he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devoted hearts. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch for who a whole year, for a whole year, they met with the church and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So the church in Jerusalem hears about what God's doing at Antioch and how uh, this family is continuing to grow. The church is continuing to grow and, and there's people who don't look alike who, who are worshiping Jesus. They hear about this good news and like when uh, in Samaria, right, when Philip went to Samaria and preached the gospel, more and more people came to faith and so they sent Peter and John to go affirm what was happening. They send Barnabas who's full of the Spirit, full of faith to go and to see and affirm what God continues to do in this family and he gets there and what happens he's absolutely encouraged because he sees the grace of God he sees the grace of God come before him right before his eyes and he sees people who don't speak the same language people who look different people who would never be caught in the same room together worshiping the king man I, we get to experience that every Sunday morning when we come to church the grace of God is before us because He saved us, because He's regenerated our hearts, because we get to gather and worship. Like, that is something to celebrate each Sunday morning, that the grace of God is right in front of us. As we look across this room, as we see young children hearing the gospel, as we spend years and time together in city groups and in huddles, and as we see the Lord continue to do more in our church family, the grace of God is before us. And I'm so encouraged every Sunday morning as we get to worship Jesus together. As we get to sing songs to Him. Man, I, I think of some of you, and you know, Dean's not here this morning, but I think of Dean Waddell, and I'm like, I would have never been caught in the same room as Dean Waddell, and we go to coffee regularly and hang out. Like, that would never have happened. 
unless it was the grace of God before us who brought us into one united family and we get to worship King Jesus together. It's just so radical that people from all different ages, different places, different backgrounds come together on Sunday morning and have the greatest thing in common. And it's the Savior who saved them. That's the good news. And so as we look at this church in Antioch, uh, I think we can learn two things from the church in Antioch, from uh, just Barnabas' time with them. And so uh, those two things come out of them being steadfast with the Lord, right? The text tells us that they remained true to God or that Barnabas tells them, hey, remain steadfast, remain true to God. And so the question for us this morning is, how do we do that? How do we as a church family continue to remain true to the Lord, remain steadfast to him? And we see that in two ways here. And and the first one is that the church is gathered together. The church is gathered together because when Barnabas gets there, he sees everyone together and he goes, wow, praise God that they're gathering and worshiping him and singing songs to him. And so as a church family, for us to remain true to the Lord, we need each other. We need each other to hold fast to the God who saved us. We need people to come around us and continue to encourage us, to speak life into our hearts, to give us truth when we need to hear it and we don't want to hear it, to continue to uh, point us to Jesus when we're struggling, to be there for us when we have serious needs. Like We need God's family and God's bride to continue to remain true to who He is, to continue to remain steadfast, We can't remain steadfast on our own, and we can't remain true to God on our own. We need God's people to encourage us, to point us back to who He is and the saving grace that He's given to us, to be reminded of what He's done for us. And that's why we gather every Sunday morning, to worship Him, to be encouraged together. That's why we gather and scatter throughout the city, to draw near together to God to grow in our relationship with one another, but to also grow in our relationship with Him. That's why we meet in small huddles to form discipleship relationships and equip and encourage and, and continue to hold each other accountable. All of this is to hold true to who the Lord is. Like, this is from the Bible. We don't just do it because we thought it was the cool thing to do. Like, we do it because that's how we remain true and grow in our relationship with Christ. The second thing I notice uh, on how to stay true and steadfast uh, to the Lord through this text is being taught by the Word of God. Being taught by the Word of God. Barnabas goes to Saul. He goes and finds him in Tarsus, right? And he goes, hey man, something really cool is happening in Antioch. I, I need you to come with me. And so they go back and they spend a whole year teaching the church. They spend a whole year teaching the church. He brings this guy back. Saul's probably got the whole Old Testament memorized. And he's able to teach the church who God is and what he's done and how he continues to fulfill his promise through Jesus. And friends, by the word of God, we continue to hold fast and steadfast and true to the Lord because the words before us are true. God's word before us continues to encourage us and equip us, rebuke us, and to point us to Jesus. And that's how we remain steadfast in our relationship with him, to hold true to the teaching of God's word 
and to be in community with one another to gather together. And the Lord blesses it all the more. Even before Saul gets there in verse 24, large numbers again are added to the family because Barnabas is going and encouraging them and teaching them. And more people continue to come to faith because God just does a miraculous work through His Word. The Holy Spirit speaks to people, opens their eyes to who He is, and more people are saved. And in Antioch, it's the first time they were called Christians. That's how we got here. That's how we got our name. Because it was a group of people who were gathered together, who would never have been seen in a room together, worshiping one God. And people looked at them and go, okay, we can't call them Jews anymore because they're not all Jewish. We can't call them Roman because they're not all Romans. They're not all Gentiles. Guess we're going to have to call them Christians. Like that, the only thing they have in common is the God they worship. How beautiful is that, that God continues to bring people together who have nothing in common except for their king. That is absolutely radical and amazing. Antioch's the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Thousands of people who look nothing alike, who maybe have nothing else in common other than the fact that they live in Antioch, come together to worship the king. That's wild. And God continues to uh, grow them and keep them close and then multiply them and uh, send them out to the rest of the nations. But we're called Christians because God continues to bring people who don't look alike, who have nothing in common, into one family to worship Him and to hold fast to who He is. This is how we got here. Because of the saving grace of what Jesus has done. This is what God's family looks like. A group of people who maybe don't have a lot in common, but have the one true king in common that they get to worship Him and who have been saved by His grace. That's good news. So how does our relationship, right, as a family continue to grow? How do we respond to one another in life together? We see that come to a culmination at the end of this section. So read verses 27 to 30 with me. In those days, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and predicted that by the Spirit there would be a severe famine throughout the Roman world. This took place during the reign of Claudius. Each of the disciples, according to his, own, his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers and sisters who lived in Judea. They did this, sending it to the elders by means of Barnabas and Saul. So during that time, as the church is continuing to grow... And Saul and Barnabas are there teaching them. A prophet comes down, his name is Agabus, and he tells them, hey, there's going to be a large famine coming. People are going to be low on food, low on money. Hardship is coming. That kind of sound familiar? So applicable in our day today? Friends, how does the church respond in the midst of that? How does the church in Antioch respond to the fact that they know that hardship is coming, famine is coming, 
Do they store up all of their stuff and say, okay, we've got to keep everything together so we can make it through the day? No. Each disciple on their own goes, we've got to take care of our brothers and sisters in Judea. We've got we to make sure they're doing all right. Like they, they don't even care to think about themselves in the midst of this moment. How, how, do, you, how do you think you would have responded if someone came to you in January, February, or maybe even a year ago, right? And said, hey, there's going to be a massive pandemic. People are going to lose their lives, their jobs. People are going to get sick, are going to be low on money. What would you have done to that warning? Bought a lot of toilet paper? <laughs> uh, like... We see that clearly happen, like today, like I, we're almost out of toilet paper. I went to Costco last week, there was none. It's still happening. Yet the church responds differently. Like they respond completely, they're like, take it, we need to make sure our friends are okay. We need to make sure our brothers and sisters are okay. It made me think, as I was studying this, oh my gosh, uh, I was so just kind of like Barnabas walks into the church and is just amazed at the grace of God. It made me think back to March and, and just to see the grace of God again. Uh, so before we planted in March, we sent out a couple letters to the different City Light churches. And we said, hey, uh, we literally have no finances to start this thing. Would you please help us? And March hits, pandemic hits, and you're kind of like, yeah, the people probably aren't going to give. Uh, you know, you kind of think that. And we start looking at the numbers. We kind of get a little scared. I get a phone call from Chris Hareska, who's one of the founding City Light pastors, a couple of weeks later. And we're on the phone in late March. And he's like, Alex, man, I got your letter. How are you guys doing? How are things going in South Lincoln? And I was kind of like, yeah, Chris, I think I'm, I don't know if I'm going to be able to keep the staff team we just hired on. I don't even know if our, church, if, like our church is going to be gathering in two months from now because we have no idea what's going to happen. And in, in March, when nobody knew what this whole thing was going to look like, Chris goes, let me go to my elders real quick. Calls me back a week later, and out of the beautiful generosity of our brothers and sisters in Omaha, they just said, take $10,000. Take $10,000, and we hope that the Lord uses it to continue to sustain you as a church plant. And that's not even where it stopped because then Providence Church called us and was like, hey, uh, we want to respond just in generosity in the midst of this. Here's some more money for you guys to continue to sustain. Like, it, it is wild to me to see the family of God be so incredibly generous in a season that just kind of really doesn't make sense to be generous in, right? And church, I want to encourage you guys, you're literally doing the same thing. Like, in, in two weeks... Chuck from West Council Bluffs is coming to preach and to share a word with us, and we get to sign over a check to him for $20,000. That, that's radical. Like, that just does not make sense. In the worst season of the pandemic that we're seeing in Lincoln, Nebraska, it's the easy thing to say, we're going to keep it and, and just make sure that we're going to make it through this whole thing and be okay. And yet we're a church plant that's like eight months old and saying, nope, 
take it, Lord. It's all yours. That's amazing. It just doesn't make any sense at all. Praise God for your generosity, church. I'm so incredibly grateful to see what the Lord is doing in our church family as we just get excited to see churches and disciples multiply, to see the Lord continue to uh, bring more people to himself and see more churches continue to run after the lost. It is wonderful to be a part of this family and to witness that and to have you guys say yes to that. Like that, that's what you're saying yes to. You're living sufficiently and giving extravagantly. As a church family, that's what we get to do together. Praise God. Stuff like this, it only happens because of Jesus. Like the only reason that we move towards generosity is because of Christ. Like the only reason why we're a multi-ethnic family, right? Maybe not as much here in South Lincoln, like Marcella and I maybe look a little different because we're brown, uh, but like... Ghana, I don't know where Ghana's at. Maybe he's back there. Uh, but it, people from different scopes, from farmers to CEOs, from people who are 90 years old to people who, like infants who are being raised up in our church, people from different backgrounds who come from trailer parks to people who ha- have always lived in the suburbs. Like God continues to bring people together and it makes no sense for us to be in the same room. And it makes no sense for us to be generous people outside of the cross of Christ. That is beautiful that we get to respond to the good news that Jesus has given to us in faith in who he is. Man, the greatest Christmas bonus we could ever receive is the fact that our king came. The the greatest cash prize or lottery ticket that we could ever win is the fact that Jesus spilled his blood and rose on the third day and paid the price for our sins so that we could have new life. Have you responded to that generosity? Have you responded to the generosity that Jesus gave to you? Like, have you actually made the decision yourself to walk with Jesus and say, Lord, you did it all for me. I just want to respond by giving you all of who I am and trusting in who you are. Have you responded to that? If you haven't, I'm begging you. Would you respond to say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior? That the only way to pay for the price of my sin is through Christ and Christ alone. I can't do it on my own, but he was generous enough to give his blood for me. Praise God that we worship that God. And in the second way that you could respond, church, is if you haven't joined us in the mission to continue to multiply disciples and churches, friends, one way to do that is financially, to continue to send money to the nations, to send money to the ends of the earth, to send money to God doing more things. Have you joined us on that mission? It it says in the text, each disciple, every disciple, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers and sisters who lived in Judea. Every single person desired to do this. So the self-diagnostic for us is, man, have you actually sat with the Lord to go, God, I just want to be generous because you were so generous to me. And I want to see you do more not just in the life of my local church, but to the ends of the earth. I want to see you multiply disciples and churches, Lord. Have you wrestled with the Lord on what it means to actually live sufficiently and give extravagantly in terms of your finances? Have you given that up to God? Maybe a question to further wrestle with is, 
Man, does, does it bother you that we're giving away $20,000? Like, does it kind of frustrate you in your heart? You kind of maybe want to go, ah, church leadership, I don't, I don't know if that was the best idea. I don't know if we should have done that. Like, does that frustrate you a little bit? Is there tension in your heart with that? If there is, man, I'm going to ask you to go before the Lord and ask why. Like, what is it in your heart that makes you go, I think we should just keep it to ourselves. And I want, I want to ask you to see, man, God's going to use it. Not here, but he's going to use it in West Council Bluffs. People are going to hear the gospel because we were able to send some money. We're going to be able to uh, uh, just encourage our brothers and sisters down in West Council Bluffs in a dark place where people don't know Jesus. More people are going to be baptized and hear about Jesus' name because we're generous like that. Because God moved in our hearts to be generous and to just send it and say, Lord, it's all yours. Everything that you've given to us is yours. Friends, I'm so encouraged that there are disciples in our church and there are kids in our church who are living this out. Adults in the room, I don't know if you guys know this. I actually learned about it, I think, maybe last week. But the kids ministry, City Light Kids, you guys are already doing this. Every week, the kids come into church and they've got three different jars that they put money into. And one jar goes to saving, one goes to spending, and then one goes to sharing. Like our kids are living sufficiently and giving extravagantly. Little five, six, seven, eight-year-olds are coming into church on Sunday morning and going, I, I got three dollars, here you go. You know, just so God would use that money to continue to go uh, to Provin and the kids ministry in India back over there or wherever it's going to be sent. Like that's amazing. City like kids, you guys are setting the pace for our church. That's good. That's great stuff. Never forget that stuff. Never forget that God was so generous to you and you're responding in that generosity. I'm grateful for you guys setting the pace for our church. Thank you so much. So church, are the rest of you responding to the generosity that God's given to you? Both by actually submitting to him as Lord and Savior and coming to understand that he was so generous to give us his life, but also, also like just in how much authority he has over your life and over your possessions and over your things. Like you're saying, it's all yours, Jesus, or it's all, all mine. We need to diagnose our hearts and just give it to the Lord and trust that he's so good and so generous that we just want to say, Lord, it's yours. I trust you to continue to do more with this. We, don't, we didn't just like plan this out. Like I didn't meticulously go through, okay, when's the, when's the Acts 11 like giving sermon? When can I like make sure that's timed up with like the end of the year? Like we didn't do that. We're, I'm not that smart. Friends, like it just comes from the text. This is what God's people are called to do, to be a family that gives generously, that continues to just see the radical transformation of God in people's life. This is what Jesus produces this is what the gospel going forward does. It brings people into a room who don't belong in the same room to worship one person. The gospel continues. Jesus continues to hold his people fast to himself by encouraging them through the body that he's given them and the word that he's given to them. And then he continues to lead us to just respond in generosity when it makes no sense because our king was so generous to us. Friends, this is what the good news of Jesus does to us. And it's wonderful and splendid. Let's pray.
Lord, I am so eternally grateful for the everlasting life that you've given to us. Lord, I'm grateful that you continue to do more in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would lean into you all the more, that you would hold us so near and that we would draw near to you, God. Father, I pray that uh, just as we spend some time this morning worshiping you, that we would be more in awe of the beautiful gift of salvation that you've given to us. We pray this in your beautiful name. Amen.